You're listening to the Lean Six Sigma for Good podcast. We help you learn how Lean and Six Sigma concepts can be applied to nonprofits, NGOs, and not-for-profit organizations. Visit us at LeanSixSigmaForGood.com. Welcome to the Lean Effect Podcast. Our mission is to help you apply Lean in your role in your business. In every episode, I talk to Lean leaders in a range of industries and discuss the trials, tribulations, and the triumphs of practicing Lean. The Lean Effect Podcast is brought to you by 4P Partners. Are you looking to retire or pursue other interests? If you're looking for safe hands to lead your business in, visit us online at 4ppartners.ca. That's the number 4ppartners.ca. 4P Partners, safe hands for your business. Our guest today is Brian Hurley. Brian spent uh, 20 years practicing lean in a range of industries, including actually uh, Lean and Six Sigma, both of them in a range of industries. Brian, welcome to Lean Effect Podcast. Where are you joining us from today? I am talking to you from St. Louis, Missouri. Excellent. Is it uh, is the weather nice today? It's uh, kind of like when I was in Portland. It's overcast and looks like it's going to rain. So no, it's not that great today. But so, I think it's starting to get to there at that point. Since you're from Portland, you can understand this. So we live on the wet coast, right? Like this yes. region, I mean, it's gorgeous. It's a beautiful place to live. But I ask you about the weather because I want to vicariously live through people's sunshine because God knows we don't get much of it out here, right? Yeah. So uh, I, I like, to, you know, I, I want that moment of sunshine somewhere in the world that I can, I can enjoy vicariously. Yeah, that was different living in Portland is uh, get used to the overcast and the and the light rain and drizzle, but uh, it is beautiful. That's oh, the, yeah. the benefit you get for the constant rain. You probably have the same as we do. People visit on a sunny day. And, oh, it's beautiful. It's amazing. I'm like, yeah, this is like one of 60 days. It doesn't rain. <laughs> like it's, it's pretty much, you know, it's, it's like middle of September or August or something like that, where it doesn't rain too much. But anyways, oh. it's, it is beautiful though. It is. Tr- I mean, have you traveled much at all? Oh yeah. Very, quite a bit. So you, I don't know, for me, when I went through, like, I went through Europe and stuff, then you come home and you're like, you do realize that this really is beautiful. Like it is quite amazing. Yeah. The best flight is the flight into Portland during the day mm-hmm. and you fly through the mountain ranges and you get almost pass right by Mount Hood. And I always yeah. recommend people fly in to come in during the day and hopefully pick a day that's warm and yeah. clear. And yeah. it's, uh, it's one of the best flights. That's awesome. All right, Brian, can you give us a little background? You know, how do you, what, what have you done for work? How did you got involved with Lean, Six Sigma, that type of thing? Um, and what brings you to today? Like, what's the path? Yeah, sure. Um, when I went to school, I studied statistics because I didn't know what else to study. And Actually. I liked math. And so I just thought, oh, I'll just stick with this. And it feels like there's some application versus more theoretical stuff that other math classes I took. Um, and then uh, I got done and I still didn't really know what I was going to do with that. I figured there would be statistician roles at companies, but I ended up going to grad school right away. And there was a, I wanted to find some more applied methodologies. And we had a program at University of Iowa called Quality Management and Productivity. So I was like, well, that sounds somewhat useful for a business. I'll take those courses. And it was a, a mix of uh, engineering and business and statistics which I look back, it's just kind of a beginning of a Six Sigma master's program. So when I got hired in at uh, this company called Rockwell Collins in 
and Cedar Rapids, Iowa. They, I, I was backfilling a statistician role. So I thought, oh, they must have lots of statisticians. Well, that was, that was actually the only role they had in the company. They had 20,000 employees. Um, and then, so I was starting to look at, well, where's all the data at? And, and I found that there was a lot of gaps there. So I was basically trying to bring in some of these methods and teaching classes. And at the same time, the company was going through a lean initiative. They were a supplier to Boeing. Boeing had been getting some help from Shingajitsu and they were going through a transformation a couple of years prior. So they had a lean program going and I started, slowly started to realize that there was a lot of overlap there. And so I started working more closely with the lean team and getting uh, experience and knowledge on that. And then my role kind of transitioned to more process improvement because I started in like quality assurance and then it just kind of became a combined lean and Six Sigma. I was learning this lean and trying to bring in more Six Sigma and going around to different facilities and teaching classes and coaching, mentoring. So I did that for 18 years at the company and then uh, moved around to Florida and Oregon. That's where I was last at in Portland, Oregon for seven years. Uh, and then about four years ago, I decided to do my own consulting. And I really wanted to get into a couple other areas of of application for Lean and Six Sigma outside of traditional manufacturing companies. Excellent. So that kind of that actually brings us to some of the products you've been working on, and you have a, you have done some pretty interesting things. I mean, you you have a couple of sites that you sent me to to kind of peruse, but one of the ones I found interesting was the Six Sigma and the environment and Six Sigma at home. Like, what inspired you to to even do that what's your what's your goal with those projects what's your what are you working on yeah so probably 10 or 12 years ago i got um i found the the epa environmental protection agency in the u.s they have uh they started to do a lean and six sigma a program for companies because they started to notice that if they help companies with Lean and Six Sigma, it actually reduces their hazardous waste, their water usage, their energy. And like a light bulb went off in my head, like that's what I wanna do. I wanna provide what I'm doing, but also for more impactful work. Mm -hmm. um, so I just absorbed as much as I could. I found as many examples and I found that there really wasn't much outside of that going on. A sporadic books here and there on the topic, but I just started to, uh, all that together and just started posting it on a website just so I can keep track of it and then hope other people will find those resources as well. And that kind of got me going down this path that I wanted to learn more about environment and sustainability. So I went back to school and got a, like a, I call it a minor, but it's a certificate program in sustainability. And that really got me more comfortable talking about the topics because I really wasn't that familiar with them. I just knew that, you know, we have these environmental problems going on and I felt like the skills of Lean Six Sigma could really help with that. And then that's been kind of my goal is to try to work with organizations and companies to show them that, yes, this can help your process yields. It can help lower your inventory, but it can also help you lower your costs and utility costs and um, lower your impact on the environment. So then typically, how do you go to market with that when you're talking to customers? I mean, most most folks, when they engage somebody on Lean Six Sigma, they're looking for, you know, hard cost savings. They're looking yep. for, and I mean, there's already a challenge in, in trying, well, my experience has been a challenge in um, 
it not just being a, a quick hard cost win, but thinking about the long term. Because for me, lean specifically, it's like you can create a culture that will have continuous improvement versus just blasting out, you know, a couple of bips right now, right? Yeah. yeah. So what's a conversation when you've added on the the element of environment? I mean, I guess the one upside right now is it's uh, folks are more uh, in tuned with environment being an important part of their, their whole equation versus maybe yeah. 30 years ago where it was not even on the equation board. So maybe talk us through like, how does that process look for you? What kind of companies do you work with? Yeah. Yeah. So the, you're right. The, a lot more companies are putting together corporate responsibility reports or sustainability reports and showing how they're impacting and what their goals are and how they're trying to reduce their impact. Um, so that definitely helps that you can point back to things in their report that says you committed to lowering your electricity usage. How are you going to do that? You just have a list of projects. How did you arrive at those projects? Are those the best ones? Are they data driven? Or are you just throwing something on the wall hoping that's a, a good solution? We'll just change the LED lights. But where's, where's the data that backs that up and what kind of benefit could that provide to you? So um, so that's one area I look for, and that's where I'm kind of working, or I'm looking to work with the companies that already have those things in place, because that's an easier sell, of course. Mm-hmm. I'm going to a company that doesn't, haven't really thought about what their goals are around that. That's a longer sell. It's going to take a little longer. So I kind of target my work with like B corporations or companies that have gone through some kind of environmental program. City of Portland had a really good sustainability at work program. So I would, you know, look for the companies on that list because I know that they're already kind of thinking that way. Uh, Same with the B corporations to go through that certification is a pretty lengthy process. Uh, It's broader than just the environment. It actually covers, um, you know, governance and it looks at equity and it's just a, a really good holistic approach for doing business in a good way. And so those companies I kind of gravitate towards first because just the easier sell. I don't have to convince them that this is good for business. It's the right thing to do. Uh, so that's part of it. Uh, the other piece is there is hard savings there. Um, the company I used to work at, they spent $4 million a year in electricity. So I could go to them with a potential project and say, I can cut that by 5 10%. Um, and one of the projects, we end up saving $300,000 a year uh, with the Six Sigma project where we looked at cut, setting back the, the temperatures on the heating and cooling system during the year based on employee occupancies. And so there are some hard savings there, but the other soft savings I, I tell them about is let's engage your employees in these issues that they care about. And they're going to stick around longer if they feel like the company they work for cares about these issues. And they're going to get excited about that. And they're going to want to learn and participate. And they're going to stick around longer. So retention is a huge uh, cost to a lot of companies. that they have to replace really experienced employees because they go seek employment somewhere else. Mm-hmm. If you can hold on to them even just a couple more years, that's, those are huge cost savings right there. When they feel their company is, is, cares about this stuff, there's an increase in productivity. Um, when you have these projects that are successful, you can get some good PR for that and you can get some kudos in the local paper and, and you can equate that to like, how much would it cost if you ran an ad versus you got a free article about your company's green award that they got or some 
volunteer project that you did in the community. That's really good publicity. And all those things lead to business line results. So sometimes they don't see the direct connection to that, or it's maybe it's a side benefit that, that's hard to quantify, but there's definitely an impact to the business there. So that's the way I approach it. And again, it's a little easier for the companies that have already kind of seen that, that I don't have to convince them of that. I just have to show them here are some process improvement tools that could help you get there in a more structured, maybe more effective way. Can you walk us through an example that you've uh, done where kind of what, what are their, what were their goals when they first started? What were they looking to do? And then when they engaged with you, what, what was the output? Like, where did you end up and kind of give an idea as to what kind of um, actions and results were, you're, you're getting out there? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the one that really kind of um, focused my attention on this and proved to myself and to that company that, this could work was really the the electricity project I talked about. So as I started to understand um, the, where my skills could help and I found that those booklets and they had one on lean and energy, Mm -hmm. I kind of went through there and I said, I I could do something like this. And so I reached out to our corporate team. I said, do we have any, do we have a green team that we're, you know, actively working on some of these things that like to be involved they said, no, not yet, but actually we're putting one together. So uh, I actually relocated from Florida back to Iowa just so I could be a little bit closer to that activity. And I basically got a hold of the electric bills and said, there's some opportunity here. Um, if no one's really studied this process, this data and looked at it and um, with a new light, maybe from the process standpoint versus just the utility side of it or the facility side. Because um, I think a lot of times, from the facility level, they're going to look at big capital projects that, you know, changing out all the lights or upgrading the HVAC equipment or um, replacing certain machines that are older and more um, wasteful. And those are really expensive and you need a lot of money and you got a budget for those and things. Um, when you look at it from the process level, there's a lot of opportunities there, a bunch of smaller activities. And so kind of bringing both those groups together and say, let's just look at the data and see if that gives us some guidance on that. And so I said, I don't know what we're going to find. We don't always know when we dig into it, but if you haven't really looked at it this way or studied the data, then I think there's going to be some opportunity. Uh, So we got that. We got the monthly bills and we tried to figure out how detailed can we get, talk to the utility company and, oh, we can get five minute incremental data. It's not very detailed, but it does show patterns throughout the day. And so we pulled that data, started graphing it and looking at it. I presented some observations to them. Like, do you know that, you know, over half the day, the energy is consumed on nights and weekends. So it's not when people are here consuming the usage it's happening overnight. Uh, that focuses our attention on the type of equipment that runs overnight. Well, in that industry, it was like uh, thermal cycling chambers where it runs the product up and down through hot and cold cycles. It's also the heating and cooling system. When we dug in, we found out that runs 24-7. There was no adjustments made, whether it's daytime or nighttime or weekend. Mm -hmm. Uh, We found the servers run 24-7, right? So we looked at, can we measure the servers? Can we measure the HVAC equipment? Can we measure lights and stuff like that? So just try to take a really structured data approach to it, 
but also engaging the maintenance team, engaging the facilities and facility engineers, electrical engineers, and let's let's map out the flow of the electrical lines through the building. And that was more complicated than I suspected it would be because there was outdated information on the drawings and that substation doesn't actually, it's not there anymore. It got moved a couple of years ago and no one updated the drawing. So uh, figure out what is this substation power? Does it power the cafeteria or not? And let's trace the path there and make sure we understand where everything's coming from. So we ended up basically with the same proposal that uh, teams had pitched a couple of years ago. The problem is they didn't have any of that background data and investigation to go and present. Mm-hmm. And we didn't. We also ran a pilot project that showed that here's what the potential savings could be on a small scale, and we could extrapolate that out. So basically, what I what I felt that what I brought to the table for that project was the engaging a lot more people in that, leading with the data, and then showing the potential benefits of that project. Because when we pitched and said we could save two hundred thousand dollars, which ended up being more than that it was an easy sell at that point mm-hmm. because they were able to see that, oh, there's a payback because there was a $50,000 investment in labor to go and install all these, uh, to make all these changes to the equipment. Um, but when you say you're going to get that money back in a couple months, that was uh, a no brainer. Before they had pitched this exact same idea, but there was no data. It was kind of a trust us that you'll get that $50,000 back. And that was a hard sell for management to pick up. So they weren't really big on the environment. That's not why they did it. It was an easy cost savings project. And so we try to keep it focused on that. Not that they didn't care about the other stuff too, but it's a lot easier when there's really hard savings there. For sure. When you have an obvious ROI like that, then it's, it's, it's like you say, it's a much easier sell. Yep. The other thing, like uh, other clients I've worked with, they're, they're really focused on that type of activity. They're, they're already looking at their footprint. They're already trying to minimize it. So what I'm trying to do is not necessarily work uh, a green project with them, but just implement lean principles uh, as another way to get lower costs. So, you know, maintenance of the washing machines, making sure that those are uh, up and running, because if you have to rerun a load through because it broke down, that's costing you extra money. So just looking at the, the quality of the process at that point. They're already convinced that we want a lower energy. Now it's showing them the flow is a good way to do that and not overproduction and doing things earlier than you need to um, and hitting the high, higher yield and quality and not washing things that you're going to end up discarding later in the process. So we're wasting maybe an extra load or two a month for no reason. And so they're just maybe more focused on that and they're just not used to uh, understanding lean or Six Sigma concepts. So it's, it's brand new for some of these B corporations and green businesses. It's just not something they've been introduced to. Interesting. It's amazing what you, what you can, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit amazed to hear the application and some of the results you, you've gotten. Like the electric one I found very interesting. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a longer process and it's, it's interesting. To me, it actually is similar to when people apply it to a service business because it's the, it's the invisible, right? Like the power just happens. And so yeah. it takes a lot to make the invisible visible so you can just think about it and, and find that data, find the information, track it. And, 
It's not in the, in the, at the Gemba, really. It's not, you go there and you're not looking behind the walls. You're not mm -hmm. looking at the pipes coming into it. It's kind of this other part of the process, but it's impacted by that process. But when you go to the process, you're looking at how the equipment runs and the people and how the product flows. And so mm -hmm. there is a little bit of gap when you do those walk, you know, go to the Gemba activities is that you're not necessarily saying where did these pipes come from and what's cooling this area mm -hmm. and heating this area and looking at the, where that water drains out and where is that going? You know, it, it's there, but you have to look a little more closely for some of those uh, other things that are more environmental related. Yeah. But and they're literally though, like, excess production in a way like or it's like it's, it is a waste it's like a giant leak in a way like it's exactly yeah could we have used this better or more efficiently before we had to discard it and then does it have to be discarded there's a lot of things um we just started a a program with the state of washington actually um got a small pilot going where we're gonna we're doing two projects with two companies mm -hmm. on uh, calling it lean and green and those, so they're looking at what they're going to reduce and they're looking at either solid waste for one company and another one reducing chemical usage. Mm -hmm. We're just kind of walking through that same thing. And part of it is not wasting it in the first place. But the second thing is, are we discarding it properly or improperly? And maybe there's an opportunity that there's another avenue that that material can go. It doesn't have to go to the landfill. It doesn't have to go down the drain. You can treat it or you can process it or there's maybe confusion about the rules that it doesn't, um, there's a different option for that. That's a, yeah. a safer way of, of dealing with it. And so we've have, uh, it's the, the local ecology, it's Department of Ecology, but they're kind of the experts on all those types of decisions and they're providing their guidance and I'm bringing the Lean and Six Sigma approach and together we're kind of helping the business go through and come up with ways to cut their, their usage and hopefully have a reduction on what goes into the environment. So when you work with these companies, what, what's your, um, I would say there's, there's a, there's a part of you where you can go, or, or you come in, you can fix it for somebody like just basically utilize your own skill set tools versus where you do that, but you're also empowering the people to understand what the long-term value might be for them to have the toolkit to do this on an ongoing basis. So how do you approach that? What's your, what's your goal? What do you, what have you found successful? You know, how does yeah. it look for you? Or, or do you just go in there and, and you know, consult to, to do the job and then, no, I mean, when I look at the opportunities that are out there and how much improvement needs to happen, you know, to hit our climate goals or to just lower the risks and impact to the communities, it's massive. I, I, I couldn't do this alone if I wanted to, mm -hmm. right? So the way I'm looking at it is I, I we need to develop the people in each company to be able to do this themselves, you know, kind of train the trainer approach because it's not scalable if I'm going around being the lean and green person. Uh, so I'm looking, that's why on the, my lean and six Sigma on the environment website, I built out a little free course because I just want to get the information out there and I don't care who uses it. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I have capacity myself, so I couldn't possibly go help everybody. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the idea is get this out there. And then if people want my help, great, but I can't go around doing all the projects. So yeah. I'm really trying to, just from necessity, figure out ways to just be coaching and, and providing guidance for people so they can do it themselves. 
and it's going to stick longer and it's going to be more successful that way anyway. Why does it matter to you? Like the environment, like obviously you care. So, but why do you care? I mean, yeah, you care more than there's people that's, I don't want to sound like a Twitter asshole, but like just people who just say like, Oh, the environment's important. And then they go and, you know, drive their, whatever they want to do. You know what I mean? There's no correlation with their life and and what they're saying. So, but obviously you, I mean, you put effort to to do this and a lot of effort. Why do you care? You know, I think I was, I've had this discussion lately too, just kind of what's the, what's the purpose, right? What are we doing? What's the goals here um, in life? Mm -hmm. And that's a very deep question, but you know, it was really first it's getting exposure to the environmental problems. And that was really eye opening to me. And that was probably, 15 years ago, where I started to notice, you know, and hear about climate change and hear about pollution and, and um, see the impact of going to visiting a landfill and just being overwhelmed with how much stuff gets dumped off every day. And uh, then understanding and learning about the impact to um, smokestacks and uh, coal-fired power plants and what it has on the local community with the mercury in the air and the pollution and then what that leads to asthma and medical problems and learning deficiencies and it just it's a uh, it hits in so many different ways and when i lived in iowa taking those classes i learned about the farming industry and how much chemicals get dumped into the river and that river runs all the way down to the uh to louisiana and there's a dead zone of chemicals that have just wiped out the entire um the fish life and marine life in that area and to see the connections at a system level, we talk about that in lean, uh, systems thinking, right? Mm-hmm. So to make all those connections and start to connect all those dots together, it just became more and more convincing to me that we have to be smarter about uh, the decisions we make. And I think that starts with us as individuals. And so I've been going through a transformation myself with, uh, you know, looking at the vehicles I drive and the, the where I you know, our housing situation. And, and my wife has been really helpful to educate me on a lot of those things. If you like this topic, please check out Lean Six Sigma for Good, Lessons from the Gemba. Volume one is released and available through Amazon. We will soon have an audible version coming out early in 2020. And we're working on volume two as we speak. Volume one has eight chapters written by different authors who share their experiences applying Lean and Six Sigma to not-for-profit organizations. And then I kind of took it and ran with it and Luckily, she's been a great partner, so we can try out things like living in smaller spaces. And we kept condensing our space down and down. Um, we ended up when we before we moved, we were in a, a mobile home at 400 square feet. Uh, so fairly small, but it's perfect for for our size, you know. And and trying out electric vehicles and just looking at the food you purchase and 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 going through that whole transformation has has helped me kind of understand it better and then make sure that I'm, if I'm talking to businesses that I am walking the walk as well. Um, but I think ultimately, you know, the environment, the world's going to be fl- fine. It's the impact it's going to have on people. It's going to lead to um, relocation. It's going to, it's already causing health problems for people. Uh, so I think ultimately it does come back to people. Um, and I feel like, I'd rather help these types of problems than necessarily save a company millions of dollars for their bottom line or to give out more bonuses to the executives. You know, I think to me, I just found it really rewarding to work on these types of projects that 
have a, a bigger purpose there. And, you know, I, I want to feel like that the work I do makes a difference somewhere and it's not just making more profits. So I think when I made those connections, it really started to hit home for me that, that this is fun and this is exciting. And I felt really rejuvenated behind some of the projects when uh, you see the potential impact it can have. And then just focusing on how do I get the word out and get other people involved? Because I, I know that how it's you know changed the way I look at things. And I think it would have the same impact as others. So uh, that's why I'm always happy to have this discussion with whoever wants to hear about it. So going to the home, uh, the application of lean yeah. at home, like and this actually applies to kind of both, whether it be, uh, you know, as an individual or in a corporation, there's a lot of greenwashing. Like it is like, I, I, I've, I've, I've been involved with packaging and that kind of stuff. And for over a decade and the number of times that, you know, good hearted sales reps will come in and say something. And I'm like, I'm not like, you know, I, I, I did, uh, you know, I did a biology and chemistry degree in university. I'm not a genius, not like a scientist, you know, but there's the number of times that someone would come in to sell an idea. And I would just ask a simple question. Like this, is this actually, like, I'll give you an example. And I'm not saying this is the, the, this is like the perfect example, but just no one's ever given me a good answer that was at all made me feel good. So oxybiodegradable plastics, right? So about 10 years ago, they were everywhere in garbage bags. Like well, in Canada, I know that's true of the U.S., but in Canada, they went everywhere. And I remember asking right away, like, okay, but is it a good idea? Well, it breaks down. I mean, yeah, but so does Roundup, right? Um, I mean, I I did a little research with Roundup in, in and I don't want to pick on them, but in, in university. And um, I mean, motor oil was a better idea in soil, right? Like in my little experience. So I'm not saying yeah. it's a giant <laughs> who's not, you know, I'm not going to get into a fight over this, but it's like, but this, the no one could, has ever given me a, a, a reason why breaking plastic to small pieces is a good idea. I mean, top of mind, that means everything can eat it. It's it, and it'll go into the waterways and everywhere else. I'm like this to me it doesn't sound like a good. But I mean, in this case, like having, I don't know, a basic understanding of biology, a, a basic understanding of some of the challenges out there, made this, made these questions really easy for someone like me. But for lots of folks, they hear the word biodegradable and it feel it feels like God just put his hand on it, right? And yeah. made it made it all good. So how do you deal with that? Like, and I'm not saying I don't want to debate those individuals as, as specifically right or wrong. I, I don't really care. There's so much of it. Yeah. How do you know if the path you're taking is long-term good? Yeah, that is tricky. Um it's, you know, and part of it is that the costs don't line up with that. There's a lot of externality costs. So when a business makes the decision, they don't pay the full price for those decisions. You know, and I think, especially in the US, and I don't know how it is in Canada necessarily, but the, the free market basically is, if you can sell it, sell it, and then later we'll figure out if it's bad or not. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's a very small list of banned chemicals uh, and it hasn't been updated in decades. And so basically, Put it out there, and if it's bad, then someone will sue you, and then you'll you'll get a lawsuit. But they'll probably go bankrupt by then and take the money and run. Mm -hmm. By the time they figure out that it's bad for the environment or bad for people and cancerous or whatever, so it's just a very open approach. And and you know, I don't want to go the total opposite where everything has to be thoroughly tested before you even release a simple product. But 
there are some things that could be done on the front end to not allow any company just to put out whatever they want. Um, so there's a little bit more protection for the consumers on that. Um, so that's part of it that we have smart people who understand these things, but they probably bring brought in way too late and after the fact. So, um, you know, I think the also looking at it just from the lean standpoint to say, is this the right use of material and value? You know, what are we doing with this? Where does it go? And again, kind of going back to the system thinking, what's the full ramifications of this? And who has to pay for, you know, the extra emergency room visits for people with asthma because of the chemical that's being dumped in the river or being polluted in the air from this factory or from this business. And no one's paying that, that healthcare bill for that individual. It's, it's just kind of applied to, to the community mm-hmm. and it's going into healthcare costs. And so one thing that would help would be if companies actually had to pay for all the costs that they were incurring. Until that gets figured out, it just gets passed on to everybody else to deal with. Mm-hmm. So I think it would be a lot easier if we could tie those costs together so that if you have to deal with the fact that those plastics get out into the ocean and it gets into our you know, marine life and you end up eating that and that's bad for you, um, that would, it would change the way that the process, they'd be held responsible for that and they would make better choices. Mm-hmm. And then for the, and, but I don't know if we'll ever close the gap fully to be able to tie those costs directly to each business and say, you owe this much and you owe this much for your impact. Mm-hmm. Um, so then it goes back to the consumers to have to be educated to, to know that's not a sustainable option and there's got to be a better choice. And I'm going to put my money and spend my money on the companies that are doing it the right way. Um, but that can be tricky because you're right. There's a lot of marketing going on to try and make things look natural or hundred percent um, sustainable, you know, or just some other buzzwords or keywords that they use that tries to imply that this is healthy, but um, for the average person it's confusing. And it's, yeah. it's, it is challenging. Um, same with, yeah, like I was asking, um, we were trying to lower some of our, um, like uh, lower the amount of stuff going to the landfill at one of the sites. And I had a long discussion with the uh, waste haulers and about composting. Said, if we switch to like more com- compostable products, does that make a difference? And he's basically saying, no, not really. Um, we're still going to pick it up. We're going to take it to the landfill. It's going to sit there and it's not even going to biodegrade because we're going to put it in the landfill and there's no oxygen getting into it and you need oxygen for it to break down. So it's going to sit there for the same amount of time, even though it looks great. Like this biodegrades kind of like in fine print, you have to read, oh yeah, you have to actually compost this yourself in your backyard or take it to a compost facility. Well, if you don't have the infrastructure in place for that, this, then these companies are even making worse decisions because they're spending extra money to, to look good, but it doesn't actually lead to any benefit because it's not, there isn't the infrastructure in the community to be able to handle that. So those are the tricky things that it makes it really challenging. I, I would, here's a I'm push back a little bit. Cause I, I, I was thinking of the, the long-term trajectory or like almost like um blocking and tackling where you're just doing chunks that could make make a difference so we in canada actually in general we actually have a pretty good recycling program 
and we have uh, pretty good composting programs now in every, and, and they've then it's been a, so they're making good, big steps, right? Uh, fully imperfect, which I, I love. Like, I mean, I don't love this imperfect. I love that you're doing it even if it's not perfect. So I'll give you an example of absolute imperfection. With composting stuff, there's different very different different um, requirements. So sometimes the requirement might be 120 days in, in a composter. Well, I think ours, I think all ours in this region are 60 or 90 days, which means everything that requires that gets dumped, right? It, it actually goes through it and it comes to the other end. It's solid, gets dumped. Yeah. But here's the thing though. I always, the question I ask myself, and I, I'm just because you're in the business of this, it's the direction is right, right? It's yeah. the correct direction. And so is it perfect? No, but that product is still better like uh, from my perspective. And I think you could, you could do studies and figure it out if it's true or not. But if you have a choice between a plastic fork, for example, being in a landfill or one that you know could compost theoretically into mm-hmm something that's not going to kill something. Um, I'll take the latter, right? Even if it doesn't work perfect today, because eventually you can have less stuff going to landfill. You can have better processes, better products, because you're heading in that direction, right? And this is like where, where I've been a bit frustrated with some of the communication, marketing, whatever you want to call it, and then government interaction. I'm not, I'm not a big government guy at all, but there are points where if it's impossible for the corporation, and I'm not anti-corporation, obviously, but to bear the cost. Like it's very difficult, say, for them to bear the cost of all decisions. It's just, it's very difficult, right? But in a larger system, say a country, it's much easier to net those costs, much easier. That's why you have the EPA, theoretically. Yep. That's why you have, yep. you know, certain government bodies. And, and, and I, I don't want government in everything, but I'm always shocked that there's, that there aren't simple steps forward that are virtually mandated. So for example, you're in a world with lots of plastics, Having governments invest, force, create massive structures, I don't mean massive government, but I mean like recycling facilities for plastics in every region, private public partnerships, or maybe it's private business, but there's you know, there's a there's a means and a mechanism of doing that. And mm-hmm. just start recycling it. Right. And maybe you start with the, the most common recyclable substrates, like PET or, or is a good one, or, or, or polyethylene, the most common ones in the marketplace. Yep. Right. Is it perfect? No, but you've, you've removed a ton of stuff and you've created that process moving forward. And, and Canada's done, I think, a decent job of this. The U.S. seems to be all over my, the place. Yeah. It, and it's, it, it varies greatly by region and city. So when, like, when you're out there doing your work, what do you, what do you, if, if you were to choose a macro decision or, I don't know, what's your thought on the whole process? What do you thought of my, on my response to that? What are your thoughts of the, what yeah. you see in the marketplace? What do you want to see? What do you, what do you think? No, that, that's exactly actually the question I was asking is, isn't the material being used to create the compostable item, isn't that there's some benefit there, even if the end result is the same, that it doesn't really get composted? Isn't it good that we're mm-hmm. putting in effort to create products that maybe are made from recycled material or more biodegradable material? which drives a marketplace for that, that actually lowers the cost and makes it more affordable in the long run. Is that good? So I think they did agree. Yeah, that is good. Um, but just know that for now, the end result is going to look the same. Mm-hmm. So if that is, if we're doing this for a purpose of saying, you know, we're going to collect this, we're going to keep driving forward, even though we know we're not going to be able to take advantage of it fully. Um, I think that's 
that's got that's got to be part of the solution because you can't just get there overnight, turn a switch, and say, okay, now we're going to start doing this. Um, in Portland, actually, they uh, got so much compostable products they had to stop collecting it because they got overwhelmed, and they have to have a certain ratio of green, um, like um, um, clippings, dirt, and the grass and the leaves and the and they have to have a mix of that to go in with the compostable products like cups and to-go containers and silverware and stuff. And the demand was so high for people that wanted to do that, it just completely wiped out uh, all the other greens that they had to collect and they couldn't handle anymore. So they cut off the entire stream of the compostable products, mm -hmm. but uh, they still continue and people still use them, but uh, the demand on that side was so overwhelming. It just, what it just ruined, would have ruined the system if they continued to collect it. So mm -hmm. maybe at some point they'll get back to being able to accept those items, but, um, you go to other communities and they accept those and then other places, uh, they don't compost mm -hmm. and then others com compost really well. And then some recycle certain items and then Portland doesn't. And so I know in Portland, that was a big thing is they don't recycle things if there's no market for it. So that's the other piece of it is great. We can recycle all this, but if no one will buy the little pellets when we're done, the recycled pellets and use it in future use, we just create a, a pile of stuff that has no place to go. And so they were really always trying to tie back to, can we do something with this? Yes, we can recycle it, but if there's no marketplace, if there's no stream that we can link into that can replace the, the virgin plastic and oil that's going into it, then we're just kind of wasting a bunch of time and effort. So I think they're really trying to figure out, can we either build a marketplace for this so that we, when we recycle, it's got a place to go versus we just recycle it because we can, and you can recycle lots of things, but it's gotta have a place to go. So I really liked the, the, the fact that they were really conscious about that. They didn't wanna jump around a lot and change it up because then it gets into behavior change and trying to educate the public. And that takes a long time to do to get people to learn the rules. And if you keep changing the rules on them, you just create more confusion, right? So they wanted to stick with long-term consistent streams of material that they know has a market. Yeah. Um, and, and I think sometimes communities just say, well, we could do this, so let's do it. Or they just say, we don't want to bother yet, or it's not important to us. So, we, so in the US, it's very state dependent, city dependent, county dependent. So you got thousands of experiments going on right now all over the country on what works well and what doesn't. So there's some advantages to that, but also it's a little frustrating to go from city to city and have to learn new rules everywhere you go. For sure. All right, can we uh, transition a little bit to the Lean Six Sigma at home? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, love to, I love to get into this one. I drive people nuts at home because I, <laughs> <laughs> I got, I got, I uh, I actually have this this sign above the washing machine uh, or closed washing machine. Uh, so if you put something in the, in the machine that should not be put in the dryer, right? Uh -huh. You take it off the wall, put it on the on the washing machine, mm -hmm. and suddenly it says "Don't put in the dryer" and the, on the wall. So it's like there's two giant red signs, right? But it's <laughs> it's so funny. It's like a simple little thing to to kind of mistake to try and mistake proof the 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 washing process and the drying process because we all try to help out, right? Yeah. Uh, I love to hear this. What, what, what's yep. the link to see about home stuff? What's the, what are you running into? What are you trying to do there? Yeah. So uh, when COVID hit, I had a little free time. So um, I everyone was stuck at home. And so I've been kind of practicing this myself 
And also when I would teach classes, I would bring up examples at home. And I felt like people would resonate with that a little easier when I could talk about doing laundry, making dinner, uh, doing chores. And so I, I actually built a little class called Lean at Home. And I started teaching that and I got a lot of great feedback on it. And then, uh, so during COVID, I switched over and made that another online course uh, that I just put out there for free. And it's pretty short, but I wanted to do two things. One is teach people some basic things, you know, 5S and eight types of waste and, and just understand some basic concepts. And then also the expectation is you got to practice this. This isn't something you just read about and then, okay, I got it. You have to put it into, into practice. And one of the common things I keep getting back from people is my company doesn't support this or I don't have time at work to do this. And so I keep pushing back to people and say, but you have those, you control what goes on in your house, or at least you have to partner with your family to do this. But you have, you don't have to get approval from anyone. You don't have to get your manager on board. Uh, and, and you can apply a lot of these same concepts there. Mm-hmm. And so it's, I'm just trying to find ways to remove the barriers for people to practice. Mm-hmm. And so at home is where they have the authority to do this. They don't need that approval. So, um, and so just trying to show people some of the examples. And so that website, Lean Six Sigma Homes, is videos I found online that people have put together on things that they've applied in their garage when they're making dinner. Um, you know, uh, the, there, so there's a couple of resources that I recommend it. Paul Akers and the two second lean. He does a lot of this lean at home. Mm-hmm. And so he posts a lot of videos there. There's also um, on one of my podcasts, there was an interview with, um, so Bradley Miller is a professor of, and he teaches supply chain classes, but he also has a lean and six Sigma program. And part of his lean course is he has a student do two second lean and then a Kaizen event on something at their house. So it could be a very simple thing like I made a hook for my keys or um, I put a little a little divider thing in between the, the seat and the console so that things my phone wouldn't keep sliding down in between the seats. And those are just little exercises and they had to create a video. And so I go through and I, I find the links to those videos and, and post them on that site too. And so I've ca- got them categorized so that people can look at different things like how to set up a, a diaper Kanban for your child, you know, or um, so a lot of people put some great stuff together. I'm just collecting all those to, into one place. So it gives inspiration for people on what they could do mm. to practice these things. And I felt like when I was learning about lean, what gave me confidence in Kanban was I, I made a little Kanban for dog food and I set up, you know, six cans of dog food and I would order up to 12 cans. And when I got below six, that was my trigger that I had to go buy six more. So I would never run out, but I kept enough in stock that um, I didn't have too much, but never too little either. And the practice of me going and trying to figure that out gave me confidence to bring that back to work to say, we can do this. And this is how it works. And here's an example that I can explain to you that you'll understand. Mm -hmm. Um, Now let's talk about these production parts and how that might work similarly. So I found that it's, it's good practice and the concepts are easier to understand for people. And then you just got to practice this over and over again, where you get proficient and you have it in a safe environment where you can make mistakes and you can try things out and then you'll build that confidence to bring it to work. So 
uh, that's that was the inspiration for that. And then I just moved it online this year just to try to get it out there. That's awesome. That's great. All right. Let's get some fast fire questions. What's your favorite yeah. quote? Yeah, um, I really like the Fujio Cho quote. Um, Go see, ask why, show respect. I think he really summarized it down to the, the basics of go out to the workspace, wherever the problem is at, look with your own eyes, ask a lot of questions and do it in a really respectful way where you're not pointing fingers at people, but you're trying to engage them and how can together can we figure out what's going on here? So I think the succinctly as the state stated that I really like. Right. I really like that. That's the most succinct, uh, 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 we call it definition of lean I've ever heard. That's yeah, amazing. It is. It's, it's really well, well put together. That's fantastic. What's your favorite business book? Um, there's, there's a lot of them. I've, I'm a, I really like audible and audio, uh, books now. I can hardly even read a physical book anymore. <laughs> uh, so I've plowed through as many ones as I can the last couple of years. And, um, but actually the, the book that I enjoyed the most is, and I've never read it, but there is a movie of it it's called the goal, uh, uh, Eli Goldratt. Mm-hmm. And there's a, he made a business movie about it. And this is from like the late, 80s or 90s I can't remember when it came I think it was the 90s he made a, a movie and I've I found that you can you can like rent the movie it's mm-hmm. very expensive to buy but it's a it's a little cheesy but it does a great job of like communicating the ideas of flow and mm-hmm. um, you know theory of constraints that he teaches and it's you know very similar to a lot of lean concepts but I'll try to do that in my classes to show that movie. It's about 45 minutes long, so it's not too long to, to present. And uh, it's a it's a novel basically of mm-hmm. how these things apply to his son's Cub Scout troop, to his problems at work, and even they talk about his relationship at home. And so mm-hmm. uh, I really like that that book, but it's really the movie that I in, enjoy to show and <laughs> share with people. Definitely the most referenced book on here for sure. Mm, okay. Uh, is, there a, is there a lean leader you follow or study? Yeah, there's a lot um, as well. Um, definitely the work from the Lean Enterprise Institute with Jim Womack. He actually came to speak at um, my, the company I was at, the aerospace company. He um, and he did a little tour and gave feedback to us, and so got a chance to meet him. Uh, I like the work Mike Rother's doing with the Kata principles. That really seems to be taking off. Uh, Paul Akers, I like his work and his, his um, excitement around lean and, and the books he's put out for free and all the resources given away that I think that's really cool what he's up to. Uh, and then I, I recently had a chance to meet Norman Bodick before he passed away and uh, get to know him over the last couple of years because he lived just uh, on the other side of the river and uh, from Portland. And uh, he passed away last year, unfortunately, but uh, he just a wealth of knowledge and how he helped bring a lot of the concepts from Japan over to the U.S. and get it translated into English. And he gave our, our Lean Portland group, which is our little local volunteer group, um, a bunch of books and old material that we went through. Like he had these old productivity newsletters from the 80s and 90s. And so we went through and scanned all those. That was another uh, COVID project I worked on is I went over to his house and grabbed a lot of these books and materials because he was moving to Japan at the time. 
and uh, able to scan those in and um, read through some of the old discussions that were going on. And that was really cool, just how much he's always been looking for the next thing and the next technique to improve the way we do work. And so um, he's been um, great to get to know. And um, unfortunately, he's no longer with us. But. Excellent. What do you wish your 20-year-old self knew? Yeah. Um, you know, I think what I was surprised at, the, the job I have was a, was a real job. I, I wish someone had told me that there's this role that you could go around and help people with their processes. Mm-hmm. And you could go in and you could learn and study the basics of how processes work. And you could learn to help them improve. Mm-hmm. I was blindly, I feel like I lucked into the role and I wish it didn't have to be something I lucked into. I wish, um, and I, and I find that with people I talk to, they, they're surprised that this is a job, a, a lean Six Sigma consultant role. Mm-hmm. And they like the idea that that sounds like a lot of fun. And it is, but I love the work I do. So I wish that was something I knew about and it didn't just happen to luck into it. Cause I'm sure there's a lot of other people that would be interested in becoming a consultant like that. So that, that I feel fortunate that, I did find this role, but it shouldn't have been as hard or difficult to find, figure that out. Yeah. Uh, so I would have told myself, keep on the right track, just keep learning about, uh, you know, statistics and data and processes and things like that. So there's opportunities there. Um, and then the other part was really just learn to not dwell on things that go wrong, that it's okay. And you'll, you'll learn from it and that, um, you don't have to be, and I don't want to say perfectionist, but, you know, especially I did sports when I was in high school and college and I really took mistakes badly. And I think I beat myself up too much over it. And I feel like that actually hurt my, my ability to move forward and move on from those things. And so now that I realize that mistakes are good and we learn from those and everyone makes mistakes and, and I think I would have had a different attitude about some of those things than I did and it would have been healthier and I think it would have helped me a lot. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good. How can somebody get a hold of you? What's the best way? Probably LinkedIn is, is easy way. Uh, and my name's spelled a little different. It's B R I O N. So I don't know how many Brian's are spelled that way on LinkedIn, but if you type in Brian, I'm sure I'll pop up pretty close. Uh, Brian Hurley. Uh, and then you can visit, my, my consulting website is biz-pi.com and I've got some templates and links to those training materials I was talking about, the free courses, uh, I have free downloads and videos and things I've put together. So again, I try to put a lot of stuff out there for people to get started and uh, okay. hope they find something enjoyable because yeah, I think this is these techniques and concepts are applicable everywhere from our own personal lives to our, our work and, and ultimately to societal problems that we have going on. Mm-hmm. Well, Brian, thank you very much for your time today. I appreciate it. And thank you everybody for tuning in for more information and show notes, please go to the lean effect podcast.com. You can find us on Facebook and LinkedIn. The lean effect podcast is a page there. Uh, Facebook, we have a Facebook group called lean six Sigma people pursuing the perfect process. You can join the conversation there. If you're enjoying the podcast, please share with friends, colleagues, 
anybody you think could be helped with some Lean Six Sigma information. If you know anybody should be a guest on the Lean Effect podcast, please have them email me or yourself at mark at 4ppartners.ca. I'm Mark Young. Thank you for listening and have a great day. Are you interested in learning more about Lean and Six Sigma? Or are you looking to expand your existing skills to apply them to environmental impacts at your work or in the local community? Check out our free online course called Lean Six Sigma and the Environment on thinkific.com. We'll teach you about the Lean Forms of Waste and Waste Walks, which stands for Water, Air Emissions, Solid Waste, Toxins, and Energy. We'll go over examples of reducing electricity and solid waste teach you how to involve your facilities in environment safety and health personnel. We'll provide guidance on how to green your 5S and lean Kaizen events and many other tools specific to finding environmental opportunities. Learn more at leansixsigmaenvironment.org.